right. Hello, and welcome to A Joyful Pause podcast. My name is Nicole Taylor. I am the author of A Joyful Pause, and I'm so happy to have one of my favorite people here with me today. Her name is Kelly Howard. Hi, Kelly. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell um, these folks about your awesomeness. All right, I'm all about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so it is Kelly's life's passion to hold space for individuals along their personal path. She believes that each of us holds the keys to our personal healing and stabilizing resources. Part of what she's here to do is to create sacred spaces for clients to redefine their lives after loss empowering them to create and grow resiliency and joyful expression with a deepened appreciation for the beauty of spirit. Kelly is an amazing grief coach, and you can find her at khhealingarts.com. So Kelly, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Um, I wanted to talk to you because I'm really in an exploration about the role of grief as we emerge from this last year plus of COVID. Mm. It really feels to me um, like the opportunity for wonder is here as we emerge. There are questions before us like, what do we want to create now? How do we want to be with ourselves? How do we want to be with our communities? How do we want to be with nature? So that we can take this time that we were mostly in the house and not just emerge as if that never happened, but actually take the opportunity to create something new. And when I think about part of the role of creating something that may precede that is grieving what has been lost and regardless of whether your circumstances during the time of COVID were kind of steady state or whether the circumstances were devastating, all of us had some form of loss. It could have been a job. It could have been a person who passed away from COVID. It could have been Um, just the loss of um, activities or milestones that pass without recognition. There's the kind of national loss of all of the people who passed away from that disease. And then there's the global loss as well. So just when I think about this emergence, to me, it seems like grief has to play a part in this. And yet when I look at the news, it just looks like everybody's partying, which is great. And I don't begrudge them that, but there's a part of me that's done that and knows that after the party, then the pain. So you might as well just go right into it and let that be a part of the emergence. That's kind of what's on my mind. Um, And I wanted to just start that conversation with you. Like, what do you think the role of grief is in this emergence that we're experiencing? Well, I think it's everything. <laughs> I mean, I think it is yeah. at the very core of all of our experiences. 
Um, as you mentioned, everybody had some aspect of a grief or loss experience in this past year. And I keep referring to what we are in now and moving forward as the opportunity to have um, 2020 vision <laughs> and reference to what happened in 2020 and everything that either came apart or in some ways came together. And loss is one of the only experiences that we as humans can count on as going to be part of our lives. Everyone is going to experience a loss of some kind throughout their lifetime, whether it is loss of life or loss of experience. So this past year is almost as if, uh, you know, it was that kind of idea with a microscope over it. It was that idea dialed up and really acutely seen and felt throughout the entire planet. So here we are now with the opportunity to hold this 2020 vision or not, right? And that, again, is part of the grief experience on a global scale. So when we think about loss, there is this opportunity to feel incredibly deeply about whatever it is that we lost, whether it is an experience or a person or even, you know, um, an idea that we had about society or about ourselves even, you know, like this past year, I know I've talked to so many people, clients, as well as community members, you know, across the globe that we were forced to sit <laughs> in many cases yeah. and think and reflect and be with ourselves. And in reference to that, many of us had the opportunity to get really real about some of our relationships and even some of our ideas about, about those relationships or about ourselves, right? And there were not just the physical losses of life and the physical losses of some of our freedoms to move through the world in the way that we had become accustomed to, but also the loss and the tiny little deaths that we experienced of ourselves, our versions of ourselves that we had created and then realized, oh wait, this isn't either who I want to be or who, or you know, externally maybe we're having very acute realizations about who other people are in our lives. I feel as though COVID and the experience of all of the pieces and parts of 2020 that were so intense and divisive really kind of ripped the veil away around a lot of um, a lot of relationships, a lot of ideologies, a lot of different aspects of life. And because of that, there were tiny little deaths the world over almost in every breath. So now we have the opportunity to either utilize the information that we gathered in those slower moments, in those quieter moments, on the other side of all of these little deaths that we had internally and then the losses that happened externally and allow for those losses to have carved out space in our heart and in our experience and in our spirit to be able to create new space for joyful expression, authentic expression and true connection that is based in spiritual alignment and true recognition of who we are as ourselves, capital S, or, you know, uh, there is also a, a, a portion of population and I have been included in this and 
parts of my life as well that like that's intense, right? It's a lot. And in, and part of it does feel a little bit like work. So there is, so partying it up sounds pretty good too, you know? <laughs> and once you get kind of past that partying it up, like the pendulum swings from, mm-hmm. from being here with self capital S to then pendulum swinging over here to like, oh my God, too effing much. I'm going to go to this whatever large event bar, like hot girl summer, whatever it happens to be. <laughs> And soothe myself in that way and try to find an equilibrium that feels a little bit more comfortable in the middle. But here's the thing, you can't go back. Like you can't unknow what you know. That's Mm -hmm. part of the grief experience, right? Like you can either lean in to that that you have learned, to those losses and to those feels and allow yourself to fill all of those empty places in your spirit that have been carved free and carved open and broken open through your losses and let all of the sweetness and richness and true authenticity that is now available with this new vision kind of fill in those spaces. Or you can do that with alcohol, distraction, television, sex, uh, food, drugs, whatever, you know, and kind of anesthetize and soothe those empty places created by loss in other ways. So it's almost as if the grieving experience is, again, acutely and monumentally in our faces Mm -hmm. because of 2020. So I don't, that was a very long-winded answer that I don't even know answered your question. <laughs> it did. I loved your exploration there. Yeah, I think one thing that I really resonated with that you said is um, we can't unknow whatever it is we learned from that time. So yes to seizing the moment and allowing joy and at the same time, that doesn't have to mean that we pretend if we are grieving something it doesn't have to mean we pretend that that's not there. Right. That, yeah. One that, of the things yeah. about grief and my own grief experience and in working with clients and making this my life's work is recognizing that for me, there is a aspect of enlightenment or richness, richness in life that, exists in holding two truths at the same time and in no other experience that I have had outside of grief and grieving is that more intensely felt where you can simultaneously feel so lost almost to the point of being in a disembodied fog so like deep in anguish and be sitting outside and look at a newly budding flower and realize how beautiful and rich and special and magical life is and to be able to experience those two ends of the spectrum at the same time is very um i mean that is grief that is part of grief and to be able to carry that outside of those really intense moments into our everyday life where as you said you can hold two truths at the same time yes all of these things that i learned about myself about community about um politics about all of these things that we have learned in this past year 
and I can still be joyful. I can still feel love and appreciation and gratitude and appreciate life and enjoy life at the same time. Those two things can exist simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. And there's also this element of something else that you said about um, parts of ourselves that we may grieve. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking about, you know, during the pandemic, um, Ambrose and I were mostly up at our place in the Poconos. And when we came back to Philadelphia, we just like our nervous system had been completely reset. Like we came back and we were like, whoa, <laughs> this feels very different than it did, you know, yeah. months ago. And one thing that's been so interesting um, in recognizing that and acting on it in terms of moving about a half hour outside of the city is the grief of that aspect of identity mm. of a person who lives in a city. And that sounds so random, but it's just an example of, you know, there's these different ways that we define ourselves and there can be a grieving period when you make a change. But to me, the grief of, oh, I'm not, I never thought I would be this person who ever wanted to leave the city. I have to let go of that old identity in order to embrace this new aspect of life that is actually quite nourishing and that we actually are taking to with a whole bunch of ease. So that's like not necessarily a painful example you know, of an identity that you release in order to step into and embrace something that is now a better fit. But I just imagine that tons of people during COVID found some element of themselves that was a surprise. Mm -hmm. And in order to step into and have that element of you, you have to let go of this other part that is no longer serving. And there is a bit of a... Um, there's just an opportunity to notice that transition and to notice what that feels like. And, yeah. it, and um, what, what are your thoughts on that, that both the, the kind of, it might not even be pain. It might just be like the friction of, Oh, I didn't know that I'm not like that anymore. Mm -hmm. And Oh, now I'm interested in this. What are your thoughts on that because to me that feels like a real beautiful gateway and yeah. I'm just I'd love to hear what how you see that space yeah there's so much beauty in the space between you know when mm -hmm. I think about the space between breaths or the space between thoughts and this is very similar but just the space between pieces of identity of self or in mm -hmm. recognition and in letting go. And, you know, I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, then that's great. I'm happy to be wrong. And in my experience, 
I don't feel that we are set up societally in a way that allows us first to truly recognize when we are making those shifts and when we're making those changes. And, you know, these pieces and parts of self, capital S, are shifting, changing, and in some ways kind of dying to make room mm -hmm. for some of the new. Um, mm -hmm. And and in many cultures, and, and again, in my own experience, I like to fold in a little bit of ritual just to recognize and create a container and create a space for that recognition and that kind of rolling over into a new phase of life, into a new um, way of being or thinking or showing up in the world. And in that, like we create an action around the letting go of that part of ourselves so that we can maybe even if it's just psychologically or on a spiritual level then have a marked moment in time to show appreciation gratitude reverence for that period of our life for that part of ourself that really brought us to again this this place of rebirth and this place of now moving forward and, and into this new way of um, more informed um, and per perhaps even enlivened way of being and that as you said i mean that happens gosh how many times through our life good lord mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? I mean, like, geez. sometimes i feel like i have little tiny deaths of self almost every day but you know, some more monumental than others, as you said, from moving from, I'm a person that lives in the city and this is part of my life and this is how, you know, my way of being and showing up and it's part of my identity to now this is, this is different. Now I live outside of the city and I've created this different kind of lifestyle for myself. You know, and many of my clients are moving, myself included, have moved from, gosh, I was a wife and now I'm a widow. What does that even mean mm -hmm. for me? You know, like mm -hmm. so much of identity was tied up in being a, a marital partner and being a wife. And, mm -hmm. you know, we have, I have clients that, you know, are, that have lost children. And, and does that mean that they have to shift their way of being in the world from a mom to now a mom without someone to actively mother on a daily basis? So, yeah, so many of our um, ways of knowing ourself are also kind of tied into all of these like pieces and parts of our experience. And I think that recognizing and being present and part of part of that is mindfulness, right? Like moving through your day mindfully so that you can even recognize when, oh, gosh, I, I'm having this feeling. What's what is this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what is this that's happening in me right now? I'm feeling like ungrounded or dysregulated or I'm feeling a little nervous or I don't necessarily know where to put this energy. And. And many times we can kind of unpack and unwind and realize, oh, wow, yeah, okay, it's because I'm redefining myself or I'm being put in a position where I have the opportunity to redefine myself and move in the world in a different way because I now have new information about the world or I have new information about myself. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. And it can also create a little bit of dysregulation when we don't recognize what's happening and we're just feeling that that friction without the additional information tied to it as to where that friction might be coming from. Yeah. And for sure, that's where, you know, practices like 
meditation can really be of service or for folks who are listening who don't meditate, whatever it is that you do that brings you home to yourself. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. intentional breathing, maybe it's taking walks, but whatever that practice is that really brings you home to yourself, that is the place where you can get quiet and be with you and access that knowing of what that friction is about. And without creating those spaces for quiet or for stillness, my experience is that then there's just a lot of emotion in the field and there's no um, it can just feel like more of a swirl mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to when you know there's kind of a daily points in time of checking in with self then you can start to just understand more about where you're coming from yeah yeah and then where you choose to go yeah for sure yeah One thing I want to kind of double click on is the idea of ritual as support Mm -hmm. in times of grief. You know, I was thinking about in this letting go of the city identity I had on my own, just created a couple of situations where I could walk through different neighborhoods and just like... I walk one to dinner. It took me an hour to get down there and an hour to get back. It was like the best two hours because Mm -hmm. that's something that I always loved about living in town is just like these long, never-ending walks. Um, Mm. Ambrose and I are big foodies, and so we went to like all of our favorite foodie spots before we left. And it really just felt sweet and like it kind of made us realize oh it's not goodbye it's just not as convenient (laughs) like we're I was making up this big story of like oh my god never again very dramatic as I do and then it was like oh right it's a half hour drive it's cool um but it also helped to feel that sense of like oh my god I will always love Philly and that's always going to be a part of a lens through which I see the world because I just, I love that town, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then on a sadder, not sadder, but just I think a more emotional note, um, when we were packing to move, I found these baby booties that someone had given me um, when I was co-leading a trip to Ireland a few years ago, and it was really in the thick of trying to get pregnant. Mm. And I've had these booties on my dresser as you know, for years. And I put them in the donation bin as a way to just kind of acknowledge that that way of mothering in terms of giving birth is not the way that I'm going to mother. And it wasn't a big ritual. It wasn't like I've been making peace with this over the last year or two. And it wasn't like a a ritual that you would think of like I burned something or I, mm-hmm. but there was a real symbolism in passing those booties along to someone who might be able to use it, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And so I just wanted to kind of share those two elements of ritual that I've experienced recently to say that sometimes when you think ritual, you think you don't know how to do it someone else needs to do it for you or Mm -hmm. 
it has to be this big thing. And you can very much have someone do a ritual for you, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it can very much be a big thing. And it could also be a sense of mindfully placing something that you do not have use for into a place that someone else could have use for and just mm-hmm. noting that moment. So sharing a little bit of my process, but also wanting um, to hear more about rituals that have been meaningful for you or or what you mean by that word even. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. Oh my gosh. Um, what I mean by ritual is exactly what exactly what you're saying. And as a ritualist, there is absolutely the opportunity to make something really special and really it can be it can be a big deal with a fire and dancing and drumming and burning the, all of the things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it can also be a small mindful act. When I say ritual, I mean that you are utilizing an action, an external action that gives movement to an internal experience. Mm -hmm. So it is taking something that is happening in your emotional, psychological, and spiritual body, and you are pulling it out into the external world so that you can physically work with it. So in this physical action, we are noting we are marking with that action that we are moving into a different section of time that we are releasing something that we are changing our mind about something that we are calling something new into our lives it it really is just highly dependent upon intention those are those are the aspects to ritual that are the most important your intention and your mindful presence and utilizing an action to kind of ground yourself into that experience. And as you said, it can be as simple as, you know, a mindful action in a moment, or it can be, um, you know, a larger kind of more celebratory, multifaceted um, event. It really just kind of depends, again, on set and setting and intention and who you want to be involved, how you want it to feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'll, Something else that you said that I just want to touch on, um, that someone else can be involved and, and sometimes we ask someone to be involved for, and facilitate ritual for us. And yes, 100%, absolutely. And I am a huge advocate for owning and claiming your own power and many times there is an opportunity for us to get very still and very intentional and create something that is going to work specifically for us and just making the decision to do so and creating a ritual that is specific to us and our needs is such an opportunity for claiming your personal power that just that can sometimes feel really nourishing Um, and I'm not saying that anyone is better than the other or that um, you know, one is right or wrong. I mean, again, it's a, it's a wide spectrum of experience. And at the end of the day, it really comes down to what your heart and your soul is looking for and what's going to soothe it and make the most impact to allow you to move forward with joyful expression. And I just wanted to give an additional voice to that as an option. Yeah, I love that. 
I love that, that you can have the direct experience of it and create mm-hmm. that for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really important too. Mm-hmm. So when you think of the relationship between grief and creativity, mm. what comes up for you? Oh, wow. Um, this is so interesting. So I, <laughs> personal story time. Um, <laughs> give it, give it up. <laughs> so I am also working with a coach and my coach is a creativity coach. And being that I um, am personally so enmeshed in in grief work, um, something that we're working on right now is uh, the dialogue between my my inner creative genius and Mm -hmm. um, my wounded healer. Mm. Uh, and tortured artists. They all kind of play in there together, those aspects of myself. But I think that for me and what I know of grief, that it, it's an entrance point, it's a, it's a gateway and an opportunity for us to know ourselves and to see the world in, in a different, it forces us, it doesn't give us the opportunity, let's be real here, <laughs> it forces us to see the world in a very different way. Um, and in the very beginning phases of intense grief, uh, oftentimes seeing it, there's a, there's like a veil almost. It feels like we're moving through like this dense, soupy, weird kind of ethereal, I don't even have the right words for it, but in those experiences in experiencing the world in a different way, I think that there are like sparks kind of happening deep within ourselves, deep within our soul, deep within our brain that again are kind of lending the opportunity to not just see differently and think differently, but also create differently and and how we want to create. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when I think about creativity, I mean, just the act of breathing is, you know, we're creating our own breath. We're creating uh, an exhale that didn't exist in the world prior to us exhaling. The act of speaking is a creative act. How we choose to move our mouths and allow our vocal cords to vibrate and bring this new energy into the world through our words, that is a creative act. And so from that stance and from that kind of viewpoint of the world, in the act of grieving, we become different. And because we are different and because we see the world differently, it offers us the opportunity to create totally differently as well through action, through how we speak, through how we show up in the world. Um, And then of course, you know, when we talk about the more um, standardized kind of parts of creativity, what we birth through our writing or our painting or creating music or, um, you know, engaging with people in our relationships that has the opportunity to be fueled by something new that was birthed in the death of whatever it was that we lost. You know, when I lost Clint, when I lost my husband, 
I honestly did not think that I would be able to do anything, <laughs> you know, like truly did not believe that I would be able to move through the world in any real way. And here I am four years later. And because of those losses, because of the loss of my husband, because of the loss of my brother and some of the other close losses in my life, I've created a business that I feel is dharmically driven. And mm -hmm. I would not, and I'm not saying that those losses like they were quote unquote meant to be or that they had to happen. I, I know that some people believe in that way and I honor and respect that. I am not one of those people. Um, mm -hmm. I believe that, you know, losses happen and in the wake of those losses, we have the opportunity to redefine ourselves uh, because of where we are uh, and we get to choose how we create and what how we show up in the world in um, in the wake of our losses. So those two things are so like creativity and grief for me are so intimately enmeshed that um, they're almost, yeah, you can't have one without the other, I don't think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just also thinking of how even someone being present with their own grief can open up more connection at a larger level. Yeah. I mean, think about how many artists have created, well, let's just like breakup songs, right? Like heartbreak <laughs> yeah. songs and yeah. how many of us will listen to and absolutely resonate with every lyric and every word. And somehow it is simultaneously heartbreaking and heart soothing. And I think that that is an experience that can happen in all different forms, right? Like in the mm -hmm. form of a televised um, recognition of losses and in a painting and in a movie or in a conversation. So yeah, the more that these kinds of conversations and these kinds of creations around even the tough stuff, right? Like we're really good as a culture about celebrating and, and feeling all the good feels. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, how many good vibes only t-shirts have we seen? <laughs> right? Like I do have one of those. <laughs> but I wear it when I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Oh my God, I love the duality of that. I so love the duality of that. Also, note to self, folks, if you see yeah, Nicole, you see Nicole Taylor walking around with a good vibes only, you know what's up. You got the inside scoop. <laughs> uh, yes, and <laughs> yeah. the more opportunity that we have to have these conversations, the more, the more easily we can walk with our grief, which allows us to really and truly feel more of those good vibes and feel them yeah. authentically. And that hits differently. Totally. I mean, truly it hits differently. Now I am all for like, all right, I'm going to wiggle my way and, and feel my way into feeling better. But that's the thing, right? Like you're recognizing when you're in a bad mood or you're yeah. feeling the feels and you're allowing them to be embodied and you're asking them to move through you rather than just you know, slapping a party on it and mm -hmm. pushing it down and moving on with your day because that mess 
it's going to show up later. <laughs> yeah, 100%. That actually brings me to a question about holding space or being with others who are grieving. So I think sometimes there's this like, oh, sorry for your loss. And then you're kind of moving right along. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's, I don't think it's malicious. I legit think people don't know what to do or say. Mm-hmm. And so let's mm-hmm. talk about that. Like when someone around you is grieving, whether it has to do with COVID, whether it has to do with something that just happened in their life that was a big loss, um, what's the best way to support them or be with them? Well, (laughs) this is a big question. (laughs) (laughs) So my short answer is that everybody is going to be a little bit different, you know, Mm -hmm. and when you know better, you do better. Again, in, in our society, I think that you're right. You know, the majority of us, we don't know what to say. And we've been taught to say like any number of these Hallmark card kind of canned versions of, I'm sorry for your loss. And if there's anything I can do, just let me know. And you know, all of he's in a better place. She's in a better place. Um, (laughs) just any, any of those Hallmark card things, I would say, don't say those. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, but, but, and saying anything is better than saying nothing, you know, recognizing that a person has experienced a loss or is grieving is so helpful and such a loving act of care And the opposite of that is just, you know, well, I didn't want to bring anything up because I don't want to upset them. Mm Y'all, if a griever is grieving, they're upset. Nothing that you're going to say or do is going to make them, here, here, I'll let you off the hook. It's not going to make them feel better and it's not going to make them feel worse, Mm -hmm. but it will help them to feel seen, which Mm -hmm. on the other side of some of those really intense new griefs, it will soothe their heart and I I think that the easiest thing to do is just to let them know that you see them and that you're there and every griever is going to be a little bit different and your relationship to that griever is really going to be indicative of what level of conversation and what level of action or care might be well received by them. And this is, you know, it's very highly dependent upon person to person, right? Like if this is a coworker, you might not engage with a coworker in a grief experience the same way that you're going to engage with a loving and caring friend who has just experienced a loss. So it's important, first of all, to kind of recognize where you are in this person's life. and, Mm -hmm. And from that point, make decisions about what is going to feel most nourishing and most welcome to that individual. But I would say like a a really easy way in is just letting the person know that you're there and Mm -hmm. that you care and that you recognize the loss and that it sucks. Yeah. I mean, that's just that that's a very short version of what can be a very long conversation just in and of itself. I mean, we could do a podcast of an hour of just that. Mm -hmm. it's deep because it's also like 
what I appreciate that you said, what would be nourishing to them? Mm-hmm. Like I had something where someone that I loved was grieving and I had planned to do this whole thing for them on the anniversary of their mom's death. And I unfortunately botched the date and I came to do that ritual a day late. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, oh, thank you, but that was yesterday. And I felt this big, like, ah, really fucked up, you know? Mm -hmm. And then they were like, and I said, oh, I was going to do this thing. They're like, I'm actually really glad that you didn't do that because I wouldn't have wanted that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, holy shit. In my brain, I just put what I would have wanted on this person. Mm -hmm. And what they actually wanted was not to talk about it until they wanted to talk about it. Yeah. And I only share that to say that, like, I think a big part of the being there is being there for them, not doing what you would want them to do for you, because mm-hmm. it may not be the same. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it very often isn't, if I'm going to mm-hmm. be really frank about not just my own experience, but working with grievers, it very often isn't. And uh And we also have to be really mindful about like, am I doing this thing because it's what I would want done for me? Or am I doing this thing because it's going to make me feel better about Mm -hmm. the, about grief or my, my connection to death and loss? Um, You know, (laughs) after Clint died, I mean, Girl, there were people that would knock on my knock on my door. Literally, I had people come by my house knocking on my door that I had met once. That mm. were, you know, that said this one woman said that she googled my name, like did basically like online stalking to find out where I lived, and she was like, "I just wanted to to come by and make sure that you were okay." Well, I was before a random stranger like cyber stalked me and came to my home. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, no, yeah. that's not, it's that's not, not okay. It's not okay. Yeah. So, and I think that are really good, you know, of course, asking the griever, like what specifically will feel nourishing. And also on the heels of that, a lot of times a griever, especially if it's the acute phases of grief, might not know what's going to mm-hmm. feel because that, that disembodied fog and that like really just... There's so much intense emotion that oftentimes we don't know. We just don't know. We just know we feel like crap and we don't want to, but we don't know what's going to make it feel better. And sometimes there really isn't anything that's going to make it feel better. Mm -hmm. So just saying, hey, like I would like to do X, Y, Z for you. Would that feel nourishing or would you like for Mm -hmm. me to check back with you at a later date? You know, it could be that, you know, you want to mow the lawn of the person that is grieving because their husband used to do that. Or, you know, like you want to cook them a meal and just drop it off on the front porch for them or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, something along those lines. But just asking, either asking the griever or if you're not close enough to the griever, a lot of times that's the that's the thing as well, right? Like Mm -hmm. there are rings of, of association. So if you are on one of those rings that are farther out, like you're in the associate or like random person that, you know, knows this person from the community, 
it might be a better idea to reach out to the griever's really close friend to their mm. husband, to their wife, to their mom, to their whoever, and say, hey, I would like to do this for the griever. Do you think that that will be real, well received? So there are options that, that will kind of help to bridge the gap to ensure that, you know, what you're doing is going to, going to be soothing. And, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, like most most grievers know that everybody is doing the best that they can and appreciate any kind of action or any kind of support that anyone in the community, friend or loved one is is attempting to share. Sometimes it falls just a little bit differently based on person to person. Mm -hmm. Um, So I certainly don't, you know, all of that to say, just meaning I don't want to shame or discourage anyone from taking loving action to support a griever in a way that they feel like might be supportive, but they're not quite sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's useful. That's useful, thank you. Um, something else that is occurring to me, there's this really beautiful deer that's just hanging out in my backyard right now. Oh, yay. Came through while we were talking, so I'm not quite sure what that means, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it just made me think about the collective. You know, if you are a sensitive person, you can sometimes feel just grief in the field that's not Mm -hmm. necessarily personal to you. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious about, um, I'm curious about that. Like when I notice that, I just notice the presence of that and I'm just with it. I don't necessarily pull it close, but I also don't push it away. Mm-hmm. And I was curious from your perspective as a grief coach, how do you support people that might be feeling into something that's more to do with the collective and less to do with them on an individual level? Mm. So many times there's the opportunity to really explore your boundary, your own Mm -hmm. personal boundary system and the energetics of that boundary system. And that being said, you know, the recognition of what's happening more in a collective space, as you said, like there's the opportunity to just be with it, to let it. So the, the visual image that came to mind when you said that was like a river flowing, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're just in the flow. You're recognizing that there's this quality within the energetic collective and you're present with it and you're letting it move through rather than like, attaching to or Mm -hmm. overly identifying with or allowing that that energetic presence or quality of collective field to dysregulate or Mm -hmm. to um you know kind of make its way into your own personal experience in a way that feels um, disembodying Mm -hmm. or a little confusing because it might not necessarily quote unquote be yours Mm -hmm. so the first step when I'm working with a client that is kind of experiencing what you're describing is really getting clear on what their personal practice is around their boundary system. Is this something, this experience, one that they're allowing to move through almost as if they're in the, the flow in the river? Or are we closer to the over-identifying with and making it part of personal experience? 
Mm-hmm. Or the other end of the spectrum, um, or are you pushing it away, shoving it down, um, choosing not to even recognize and um, identify that that is present? And within those different options, like we identify where the individual may be falling and then fold practices in that are going to allow for a more authentic and gentle and heartfelt experience of what's happening in the collective without making it about a personal experience, simultaneously mm-hmm. holding space for uh, for what's happening. And also in, in some cases that might that might mean conscious action you know like Mm -hmm. utilizing the information that's available in the collective to then help to fuel decisions that might allow for the transmutation or alchemizing of some of these um, bigger experiences that are happening in our communities and the world over Mm -hmm. wonderful that's great Um, I noticed that when I start picking up a little bit too much of stuff that is just in the field. Um, there's some really nice, um, kind of guided relaxation practices that it's like, you're saying it, it, it just brings you back to yourself in a way that you can still be with what is, but also, like you said, not attached to it. So I'm appreciating, um, that you mentioned that. All right. Well, um, the last question I like to ask anyone who comes mm-hmm. on this podcast mm-hmm. is, what is your dream for our collective liberation? Oh, well, you know, just like a really <laughs> easy question. <laughs> NBD, you know, <laughs> totally surface level. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so ah, let me just breathe into that for a second. Um, I believe that that would be the allowance of all that is in our multifaceted experiences in a way that is truly authentic and honest and vulnerable and wholehearted. And through that communication and allowance of all of the pieces and parts of us, whether they be rooted in our griefs or our joys, that allows for more authentic connection, both, you know, in our intimate relation as well as within community. And then again, world over. And if we're moving from that space, I feel like that's where real shift and monumental change that can truly make an impact on our communities and you know the world over. Like that's where real lasting change can happen. And it can happen in a way that is wholehearted and rooted in spirit and love. Um, Again, you know, no big deal. (laughs) Mm, mm, Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you for sharing that vision. And yeah, may it be so. Yeah, sounds good. (laughs) Thanks for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. Of course. And for listeners, if you want to find Kelly online, you can go to khhealingarts.com and you can learn more about working with Kelly as a grief coach and just her 
general awesomeness. Um, <laughs> and I'd be happy for you to find her and see how you might connect. So as always, thank you for listening. And um, you can email me at info at ajoyfulpause.com if you have any questions or comments about our conversation today. Other than that, be well. Thank you.